You know, this morning uh, we are continuing our message series. Uh, it's called Domino Effect. We're in just week two of that. And, you know, it's kind of a, it's an interesting metaphor because if you've ever kind of stacked dominoes, knocked them over, right, you may be aware that a smaller domino can, can actually tip a domino that's over 50% larger than that previous domino, okay? So, so it kind of keeps can going bigger and bigger. And Pastor Jonathan, uh, or Pastor Sue Lee, uh, shared with us last week that if you get to just 23 dominoes in this kind of a, uh, of a row, that you'd actually have a domino that'd be large enough to tip over the entire Eiffel Tower. So that's pretty significant. Um, It's kind of like the miracle of compound interest, right? When you do small, faithful things on an ongoing basis, eventually you get to some pretty big and incredible results. And we're starting with this message series this year as we're in a brand new year, and it's a time where we often make resolutions and we want to change and be different. But the fact is we won't be different if we don't change our habits. So we're looking at some habits, some things that we can put into our lives to help us to grow in our faith, uh, to grow stronger. Uh, Last week uh, we were challenged to uh, talk with somebody who would be a person who is a spiritually mature person who maybe you could learn some things from, like somebody you respect or look up to. Um, I did that. I learned some great stuff, and I hope you did too. If not, it's not too late. Uh, You could could, uh, give that a try this week. Uh, So here in our second week, we're going to tip a really big domino. I know it's really early, but this is kind of where Paul takes us in the book of Colossians, and we're going to be looking at who is Jesus. Okay, what, what, is, what does Jesus' life mean? What, we talk about him all the time, but who is he and how does he relate to creation today? It's, and it's interesting because we're going to get these words from Colossians, and they're incredible. I mean, this is, it's just an incredible description of who Jesus is, just, just big and powerful words. Uh, the thing is that they're written by a guy, Paul, who, if you remember the story, was not really a fan of Jesus early on. In fact, Paul, his name was Saul back then, Saul was one who was actually persecuting the church. He was going around having Christians killed because he was trying to stomp out Christianity, trying to just put it into it like that. So he had this incredibly powerful experience when he was on the Damascus Road. He was on his way. Suddenly, Jesus decides to show up, right? The resurrected Christ. And so it's like a a bright light, knocks him off his donkey. He doesn't know what's going on. He can't see. And Jesus is speaking, and he says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And suddenly he realized, Jesus is real. He's not some guy who was just crucified, dead, and buried. No, on the third day, he rose from the dead. He ascended into heaven. And now, well, he was talking to, talking to Saul and telling him he needed to change. And so, so Saul responded, eventually become Paul, and, uh, and would eventually write these words in Colossians. You know, when you look at who Jesus is, Jesus is the most famous human being ever to walk the face of this earth. Uh, There is more books written about him than anybody else, more speeches given, more thoughts given to, to the person of Jesus Christ than anybody else. But he really had a pretty basic resume starting out when you think of it. I mean, here Jesus, he was born to two pretty normal people. Uh, albeit in a pretty abnormal way. Uh, Mary and Joseph, normal folks. Uh, He grew up as a carpenter. 
he would spend the first 30 years of his life serving in the shop, you know, just, just normal stuff like most folks do. And, and his public ministry would only last for three years. But yet today, virtually every person on the face of this earth knows the name of Jesus and has an opinion about him in one way or another. Uh, he has changed, he has impacted the world so much that our calendar is based on his birthday. Our, our biggest holidays are, are based on events in his life. And, and while he did some pretty amazing things while he was here, the impact has been incredible. The impact has been incredible. So we asked today, why? What, what is so significant about Jesus? And, and Paul's going to kind of, he's going to help us out with this uh, beginning here in verse 15. And I'm going to highlight just a few things we can get, and they're all just straight out of the passage. The first is that Jesus is the image of the invisible God. It says the Son is the invisible image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. Like, okay, well, what does that mean? means that Jesus came and he showed us who God is. Okay, you might say, well, I like to experience God in so many different, I like to experience God in like a sunset and in puppies and babies and other beautiful things. That's great. We can see God those ways. We call that general revelation. It's kind of like looking at the shadow of somebody. You can learn some about them from that, but looking at Jesus gives us the image of who God is. You want to know how God would handle a situation? Look at what Jesus did. You want to hear God's words direct from God's mouth? Look at the words of Jesus in the Bible. You want to see what God thinks about something? Look at Jesus. He's the image of the invisible God. And as it says next in that verse, he's the firstborn over all creation. Now, what does that mean? Obviously, he wasn't the first human ever to be born, but what it's talking about is significance. For example, if you were first chair trumpet in your band in high school, that didn't necessarily mean that you were the first trumpeter ever to join the band. No, it meant you were the best trumpeter. You were the best trumpet player at that time, and so that's why you got to be first chair most significant. And that's what it's saying about Jesus, that he is the firstborn over all creation. He is the ultimate example of what a human being should be, because he was 100% human, 100% divine, all in one. And he showed us what the best example of a human being would be. And so Jesus now, he's like the, the uh, north star that the compass would be positioned to. He's the one who, uh, who we would follow. We calibrate our lives to him. Uh, so, so Paul's going to take it a little bit further here in the next verse, verse 16. It says, in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through him and for him. Now, this is really interesting. It kind of sounds like the book of John when he says, in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. That Jesus was there in the beginning. When Jesus was born to Mary and Joseph, yes, that's when he entered the world in human form, but Jesus, that's not when he started. He, was, he is eternal. He was long before that time, okay? So, so Jesus is the firstborn over all creation, and he is also, he's the creator of 
everything. Now think about that. Like our universe is so amazing. I mean, just in our one galaxy here, they estimate there's a minimum of 100 billion stars just, just in our galaxy alone. And our galaxy is one of countless other galaxies out there. So we have this big, incredible creation, and it's Jesus. It's him. He's the creator of all of it. He's, he's the one. And so not only did he create this big, incredible universe, he knows you, cares about you. Isn't that wild? I mean, this, this massive universe, and you've got God who's over all of it, and here this one planet in one galaxy, one, one city, one church, one space, and he cares about you. He knows how many hairs are on your head. He knows what you were worrying about when you came in here today. He knows the stresses that you have going this week. He knows your joys and the things you're excited about. He knows it all, and he cares about all of it. God loves you. God cares about you. Your life matters to God. You see, this truth about creation, it's a big cosmic truth, but also it's a very local truth that God knows and cares about you. Your life matters so much to God. You may think you don't matter And you'd be wrong about that. You matter so much that the Son of God left heaven, came down to earth to give his life to fix the problem of sin that you and I have. We'll talk about that more in a little bit. It shows us that God's the creator of everything we see, that this world is is his, so we gotta take care of it. We gotta be responsible in how we handle the creation because it's Jesus' work. It says it was created by him and for him. It's kind of like if you were going over to somebody's house, somebody had built their own home. How would you treat it? Hopefully well. It was built by them and for them. You wouldn't want to disrespect it. It's the same thing with us and God's creation. So we find value both in ourselves and in this world as a whole. Beyond that, Jesus is the sustainer of creation. Okay, some people think that, like Jesus, he, he creates everything, and he gives this world a spin and moves on to the next thing. Nope, that's not how it works. Verse 17, he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. So he's not just like some absentee landlord who cashes the check and never fixes the furnace, right? God is the one who not only built it, but he sustains it. He takes care of this world. He keeps things going. And we know that this creation, it's not in the way that God originally intended it, right? Like our sin has marred creation in so many different ways. This is not the, the, the creation that, in this, that is the same as how God made it. And the Bible assures us that someday that God will create a new heaven and a new earth, that he will come to, to, uh, to do that. And so we will experience the world that God, in the way that God created it to be. It says he'll wipe every tear from our eyes, that there will be no more sin, no more sorrow, no more death. That's a world that's in our future someday. But he, right now he's the creator, he's the sustainer, and ultimately the restorer of all creation. And that gives us hope. If you look at your world and you say, man, a lot of things are falling apart for me right now. 
What if you put your life in Jesus' hands and say, Jesus, I need you to sustain me. I need you to strengthen me. For you are the creator and you are the sustainer of all things, of all things. Next, it tells us that Jesus is the head of the church. Verse 18 says, so he is the head of the body, the church. He's the beginning and firstborn among the dead, so that in everything he might have supremacy. The head of the church. Now think about it in the like, physical metaphor. Our, our head is kind of where all the direction comes from, right? I can stand here and talk and move my hands, whatever, because my brain is telling me to do that. My brain is telling my hands to move. And that's what Jesus' role is in the church. He's the head. And sometimes we get this confused. We think, oh, the, the pastor's the head of the church. Nope, not true. I can get hit by the bus tomorrow. Anderson Hills will be just fine, okay? Because I'm not hoping for that, but it would be fine. Because Jesus is the head, not me. It's, it's never been about me or, or the staff. It's not about us. It's Jesus' church. He is the head of the church. So when we look at, well, what's God calling Anderson Hills to, where do we start? We start with prayer. We start with seeking the Lord. We start with his word. It's not just about, like, how can we be creative and innovative. No, it's about how can we follow God's will for our lives? And where is he leading us in creativity or innovation? Where is God leading us? Because, Jesus, you're the head. It's, it's not us. He's the head of the church. It helps us, too, as people who are part of a church. Because sometimes church won't be everything that you want it to be. And to know that it's okay. It's not about me. It's about Jesus and exalting him and lifting him up. And that's what we're here to do. Next, and this is so important. It's so important. The second part of these verses say, he is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead. So in everything, he might have supremacy. Now, what does that mean? The firstborn from among the dead. It means that Jesus is alive. That Jesus is alive. We say on, e- on Easter, right? I say, he is risen, and you say, Try again. He is risen. He is risen, he is risen indeed. That's right. It's not, it's not just an Easter story, okay? It's not just an Easter. I'm allowed to talk about it today, and I will, because he's alive today just as much as he is on Easter. You've got to understand that, that the East Easter miracle is an everyday miracle, that Jesus died, he rose from the dead, he ascended into heaven, and so that means he's still alive today. He's still victorious today. He's still conquering sin and death. So we have hope. We have hope because no matter what we're going through, we're still alive, and Jesus is alive, and he's working in our hearts. He's working in our lives. He gives us hope. He gives us purpose. He changes us. He, he, he is alive, and he's powerful. So we can have joy. We can have hope. We know that when we read his words that we're not reading words of somebody who came a long time ago, lived, died, and that's it. No, no, we're reading the words of someone who is alive. We say Jesus loves you. It's true. He's alive today. He loves you. He cares about you. Your life matters so much to God and so much to us as well. Jesus, he is alive today, and he is so powerful, so powerful. You know, we, we share those words a lot, that Jesus is alive. And maybe it's easy to just kind of get used to it, but 
we never should lose the joy in that. Just because we say it a lot doesn't mean it loses any of its power. For example, uh, my wife and I, we, every day, multiple times a day, we tell each other that we love each other. And never once uh, in our 20 years, never once has either of us said, you told me that yesterday. Don't you have anything new to say? That would be absurd, right? Because it's still great news today. It's still great news today. It's still relevant today. It still matters today. Jesus is alive. He's the firstborn among the dead. No other religion, no other religion has this. You see, you can go to the tomb of Buddha. You can go to the tomb of Muhammad. They're still there, not Jesus. You go to a tomb in Jerusalem, you're going to find an empty tomb because he is risen. He is risen. He's changing our lives. He's changing our lives. He's alive and he's powerful. And that leads us to the next thing, that Jesus is 100% God. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him. This is awesome, okay? That God's fullness, 100% of it, dwells in Jesus, the one who was born of the Virgin Mary. So 100% human, 100% God in one person. That's how he's the image of the invisible God. Now, there's people who say, you know, yeah, 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 Jesus came, we, we get it. He lived, uh, but he never claimed to be God. He taught a lot of good things, and we can learn a lot if we'd follow his example, but he never claimed to be God. Nice guy, good teacher, not God. Not an option, honestly. That's not an option. Because the problem is, he claimed to be God, most assuredly. How do we know that? Well, both biblical and extra-biblical sources are really clear about the fact that Jesus lived and he was crucified by Pontius Pilate uh, at the request, at the demand of the Jews. You have examples of that in both Christian and secular literature. So why? Why does a Jewish carpenter get crucified? Why do the Jewish authorities care about him enough to do that? Well, the Bible's really clear about that. He claimed to be God, and the Jewish leaders saw it as blasphemy. John 5, 18. For this reason... They, the Jewish leaders, tried all the more to kill Jesus. Not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. He was claiming to be God. And they said, it's not, it's not possible. You're, you're the son of Mary and Joseph. How can, you, how can you claim to be God? But he backed it up. Miracle after miracle after miracle, he backed it up. And Jesus did all these incredible things. He went around and he, he shared these amazing messages, but they didn't kill him because of that. He fed the 5,000. Nobody killed him because of that. The blind saw, the deaf heard, the lame walked, and they didn't kill him because of that. He raised Lazarus from the dead. They didn't kill him because of that. Why did they kill him? Because he claimed to be God. He was abundantly clear in this. John 8, 58, very, very truly I tell you, Jesus answered, before Abraham was born, I am. Remember that phrase? It goes all the way back to Moses, when Moses is there at the burning bush, and he's talking to God, and God's telling him to go, and Moses is just scared out of his mind, right? And, and Moses says, well, who, who am I going to say sent me on this little mission? 
And God says to him, you tell them, I am sent you. Jesus is powerfully showing, yeah, I'm the God of Moses. I'm the God of Abraham. I'm the God of all of them because I was here at creation. This is my work. I am God. And he said it even when he knew he was going to die for it. At his trial in Matthew chapter 14, the high priest asked him, are you the Messiah, the Son of the Blessed One? I am, Jesus said. And so you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of the Mighty One and coming in the clouds of heaven. Son of Man comes straight out of the book of Daniel, a prophecy about the Messiah, the Savior, about God. And Jesus says, yeah, I am that one. I am the Son of Man. I am the one you've been reading about generation after generation after generation. He's standing right in front of you. And at that moment, the high priest tears his clothes and we don't need to hear anymore. He's blasphemed. He said that he is God. The thing about claiming to be God, there's a whole lot of people who've claimed to be God. A whole lot of uh, folks who've come and have claimed to be God and have led people astray. That's nothing new. We know them in modern times. You have the Charles Mansons. You have the David Koresh. You have all these others, right? And the thing about them all is none of them would ever found a major world religion. There's no other major world religion found, founded by a person who claimed to be God. No, they go off into obscurity and folklore and become the stuff of jokes eventually. Why? Because they were lying. They weren't God. When you make that kind of claim, it's very provable or disprovable. For example, rise from the dead. That'll show them, right? Humans don't do that. Jesus didn't just talk about being God, he backed it up. So Jesus, he's supreme over all creation because he's risen from the dead and because he is God. That's who he is. And that leads us to number eight, finally, verse 20. He is the reconciler. Through him, to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior, but now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusation. If you continue in your faith, established and firm, and do not move from the hope held out in the gospel. This is the gospel which you heard and that has been proclaimed to every creature under heaven and of which I, Paul, have become a servant. Jesus is the reconciler. You see, our sins, they're like an act of war against God. The Bible tells us our sins have separated us from God. Why? Because God is holy, perfect, righteous, can't tolerate sin. We, not so much. We're sinners. So in our sin, we have separated ourselves from God. And the Bible's real clear that the, what does that lead to? It leads to death now and eternally. It leads to separation from God. And so we as humans have this huge problem that we're separated from God and we can't fix it. It, We can't just try harder. We can't just be a little better. We can't, no, God is holy, righteous, perfect. That's the standard and we're not. So what's gonna happen? God's made this incredible creation and here is humanity down here suffering, struggling in sin. 
So Jesus comes. He leaves heaven. He comes down to this earth. It's the most incredible act of love that's ever been shown to human beings. That while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Christ died for John. He died for you. I didn't deserve it. I didn't earn it. And yet he freely gave it. And he offers this to us as a free gift. And so now, if you could see Jesus today, you'd see him up in heaven. And he sits there, first of all, he sits there on a throne. He's high and exalted. And, and the angels around the throne, are, they bow down and they worship him 24-7, saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and who is and who is to come. You wouldn't see just a, a peasant Nazarene from the first century. You would see Jesus sitting on the throne, high and exalted. But you'd see something else as well. The Bible tells us that Jesus is our advocate, that he is the one advocating for us to God the Father. So it's like this, God looks down and he sees me and he says, well, there's John. Once again, he sinned, he screwed up, The payment for sin is death. That's where John should be. And Jesus says, yeah, but I've got this one. Because John, he's given himself to me. I am his Lord. I am the leader of his life. He's trusted me to pay the price for his sins. So, So Father, when you look at John, see me. John had a big debt. He couldn't pay it. I paid it. It's done. It's gone. He's the reconciler. And we can meet with him right now. We can talk to him right now. The creator of the universe cares about you. In fact, Anita's gonna lead us in a time of prayer here. And I just invite you to to give yourself to Jesus more and more fully as we pray together here. Let's pray together. This guided prayer time will be for a few minutes with me praying out loud and then being silent for around 30 to 40 seconds, allowing you to listen to God and then pray how God leads you to pray. So the pattern will be for me praying and then being silent so you can listen to God and pray to God. One goal with this exercise is to help us be silent and to listen to God as he speaks to us. Heavenly Father, One of the main goals in this sermon today was for you to reveal the areas of our life that we need to submit to Jesus' authority. Father, sometimes we struggle with submitting to your authority. Let us think about that and allow the Holy Spirit to reveal why we may be struggling to submit to your authority. There can be a lot of reasons for our unwillingness to submit. Pride, stubbornness, lack of courage, whatever it is, reveal it to each one of us and let us hear from you how we can overcome any obstacles or stumbling blocks. Go to God in prayer.
God, we want to obey and submit our lives to you from a place of love and intimate relationship with you. We know we need to root ourselves in Christ and continue to grow in Christ. Your love is limitless for us. That is such good news. Let us meditate on the scripture in Colossians 1.17. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Let us think about how powerful that message is for us. Ask the Holy Spirit to renew a desire for you to grow in Christ based on love and knowledge found in Scripture. Jesus, you reign supreme over all creation. You rule over everything seen and unseen. The power of the Holy Spirit dwells in us. The Holy Spirit in us can change our thoughts and attitudes. The Holy Spirit can give us the mind of Christ. Right now, let us think about having the mind of Christ by reading and meditating on Scripture and praying to God regularly and how that can change our thoughts, attitudes, and behaviors and outlook for 2022. Praise the Lord. It's always good to be silent, listen to God, and hear his word. <clears throat> 